There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gong on SEM Track. It certainly is Saturdays in the Gong, live from Wollongong Golf Club, SEN Track Illawarra, 15.75am app or the website. You're with us in the first hour in Sydney on 11.70am. Thanks to Mick Gannon and Nick Ashman and the Saturday set. Hopefully you found some winners there for Royal Randwick and Caulfield Cup Day today. The Mowers Club will be on from... No clock, thanks to our sponsors, uh, Avcon, specialising in industrial and response projects. Find Ryan Burke at the team at avconprojects.com.au, Impact Garage Doors and the Illawarra Mercury. Some big results. The New Zealand All Blacks have just rolled into the World Cup final with a 44-6 win over Argentina. The misery continues for the Illawarra Hawks last night, going down 101-91 to to Melbourne United. And suddenly the Aussies are back in the top four in the World Cup standings after a massive win over Pakistan. I'm Tim Barrow. Joining me this morning is Illawarra Mercury's Mitch Jennings and Fox Sports broadcaster Matt Russell. Good morning, lads. See, Baz, how are you? Good morning. Brilliant. Perfect, toasty, warm on a beautiful Wollongong Saturday morning. My man of the morning, Mitch, is Pakistan fieldsman Osama Murr. I have never seen a poorer dropped catch, a more obvious gimme go down. David Warner on 10. He skies one. Osama Murr stands under it. You could have caught it with your eyes shut. You could have caught it with one hand tied behind your back. Osama Murr put it down, and at the end of the Australian innings, David Warner's 163 from 124 balls leads the Aussies to a big total. Should have been 450 plus, 367. Pakistan didn't get near it. Osama Murr, that is some murdered catch I've, by you. I've seen a few blokes in Illawarra fourth grade drop a, a few, <laughs> but they probably had a few schooners the night before and weren't in I the best state to... I uh... taken that, though. Should have been held, I reckon. <laughs> I reckon most of them would have held, held onto it. He had that much sunscreen on. I reckon a bit got in his eyes. It was caked on around his nose and cheeks. and I don't know how he dropped it. Do you what? It was nice to go to bed, though, having that comfortable feeling that Australia, they could have made 420 or 430 at one stage. You know, and you just roll into bed knowing I have to be up early for radio this morning thinking, well, Pakistan aren't going to be catching this. So what was it, 259 for the first week at Marsh and Warner? So maybe striking a bit of form at the right time. Where did you watch that dropped catch, Mitch Jennings? Because I, I know was... you were working at the Hawks last I night. I was at the gym. I was at the gym, Matty. <laughs> Anytime fitness dap, though. What, up straight up, what, midnight after the Hawks yep, game? Straight over, mate. Sometimes you've got to find time. That's the beauty, isn't it? You know, I always go like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's always posting stuff 2 a.m., 1 a.m. <laughs> I said, well, that's what you're going to do. I, don't get, I didn't quite get as many reps in as he typically does. But, yeah, between, I was taking in the, the back end of the innings between sets on the uh, incline bench. You're training for another fight or something, are you? No, I'm not. I'm training for the wedding and trying to get some of these <laughs> spare tyres I can get off. I tell you what. Oh, I've dedication left, I've left to the cause. Too. I've done an Alex Volkanovsky. I've got, I've given, he, he did 12 in 10 days. I've given myself about 30 well, in a month. So I have to take some tips off him, get on the get onto the fight dietitian and do all that. Well, it is Caulfield Cup Day and happy Caulfield Cup Day, boys, but it's also Alex Volkanovsky Eve. So um, we talked about it last week once they, he agreed to the fight, but to touch on it again, it is an extraordinary effort to come in on 11, 12 days' notice and have another shot at the title, um, just given he's, he was able to make weight uh, officially last night. Yeah, absolutely monstrous. People probably didn't take into account 
the weight factor? Because a lot of people have in their head, okay, he's a featherweight, he's going up in, in weight, there won't be much of a cut there. But you've got to understand, these guys walk around far heavier than than what they weigh in. Islam Makashev walks around up near 100 kilos, and he weighs in at 70 for these type of fights. So the, the weight cuts, there's a science to it, and you usually need you know far more than 11 days to get it done. But Volk's been one of those guys, he's quite a remarkable you know, human in that regard. He's always, for him to retain the strength he has and the presence he has down at featherweight is quite remarkable. It's why he's basically unbeatable at that weight. But uh, yeah, still had to go through a cut. It's another factor that makes it you know an uphill battle in this fight and I thought Makashev he's got a long history of uh of really battling to make weight he looked like a ghost when they fought in February they basically had to wheel him in and throw him on the scale he looked a lot better uh yesterday on the scale and he's got a much larger window to, to rehydrate the way the time zones work and everything else so look Volk's going to be getting a, a primed and ready Islam coming off that 12-week preparation so it just keeps adding as he as he would say that just adds to the story that just adds to the uh shocking the world but for the average punter and he went the distance with Makachev last time was probably controversially didn't get his his hand raised but for the average punter what does he learn from that what what does he adjust now to go back to beat him well that's just the way he is he's very cerebral like I've said on the show last week he was probably analyzing you know what he was going to do in the rematch it was inevitable there was going to be a rematch just the nature of the fight the way that played out so he was he's been getting ready for this rematch mentally uh, you know, since he walked out of the octagon that night. So one of the factors that, you know, he does have, he, or he won't be behind the eight ball, I believe, is, is tactically and, and mentally with everything else. I think he's he said it quite often. There was so much focus on whether he'd be able to, to handle the wrestling of Makashev. He's from that famed, you know, Habib Nurmagomedov, Dagestani school, where they just get you on the ground and they pin you there and you, and you wish, you just wish for it all to end very quickly. A lot of people thought Volk going up a division, would he handle that and he showed that he could handle it but he's been on the record since then particularly in the early exchanges that he probably respected that wrestling too much and uh, probably didn't push the pace as much as he typically would I think that's what you'll see this time he's come out and said you know he's just going to go hell for leather and he's going to he's going to jump I don't think that means he's going to come out throwing haymakers and throwing bombs I think what it means simply is he, he tried to do everything at range last time to not give Markashev the chance at that at that takedown so he was sort of one punch. He was right in, and he was right out in the exchanges. Not to get too technical, I think this time he'll be far more willing to get, you know, not into a wrestling match as such, but he'll be far more comfortable going into the clinch uh, and exchanging in close than he was last time. Because that's the adjustment he made on the fly last time. Early on, he struggled a little bit, but as the fight went on, he could start wearing him down a little bit, particularly up against the cage and, and not so much wrestling but grappling. Um, he had a lot of success late in that fight. I think he'll do that from the jump this time. Uh, so I think that'd be probably the main adjustment he was make. I, I think he'll be far more comfortable at close range than he probably was early in the last fight. What does it mean for his ambitions if he loses? I mean, the whole of Illawarra will be behind him. We've been following him throughout his whole career, the gym down here at Windang, the former Willa Gorilla. But what happens if the worst case scenario happens for him tomorrow? Yeah, it's one of the myths that has sort of been pushed since he took this fight was, you know, you... You know he's got nothing to lose, and that's a myth. There's no doubt Islam has more has more to lose, in that sense. But to say he's got nothing to lose is just a complete falsity because he's coming in. He he's about legacy at this point, Alex Volkanovski. He's the best featherweight we've ever seen. He'll always have that. He's going to go back to featherweight. I can't see a single person that can even test him at featherweight at this point. He wants to be that two division champion that pushes you up into that 
top, top echelon of, of greats. He hasn't done that yet, and he wants Islam. Now, they asked him before the last thing. They said, Do you, is it more about the title for you or is it about beating Islam? He said, beating Islam. He, he's obsessed because this is the guy that's bested him and the only guy in those weight classes for a long time that has. So he'll want to go in there. He'll want that rematch. And the fact is, it's, it's played into why he's taken this on such short notice because if he doesn't take Islam now in this instance, he might not have got him. Like I said, Islam struggles with weight at 155. He's spoken a lot about moving up to welterweight. I'm convinced Islam didn't want another fight with Volkanovski. Volkanovski gave him the toughest fight of his life and finished that fight on top of him, almost knocking his head through the canvas. He did not want the Volkanovski rematch. I'm convinced if Makashev had got through this initial title defence against Charles Oliveira as planned, he'd have said, oh, I can't make the weight anymore and headed up to welterweight and just dodged this fight with Volk. So if Volk didn't take it, uh, he might not have got him. And it's about legacy. It's not going to knock him too much. He's, he hasn't got a lot to lose in the sense of he's not going to lose a title. He's not going to lose all necessarily the big fights. But as far as what he wants and what matters the most to him, which is legacy and getting one back and avenging that loss against Islam, that's where it's, that's where it's absolutely all to lose. And people will talk about it right now. We're, we're viewing it through the, the prism of, wow, what a, what a boss, 11 days notice, you know, taking that, that weight cut, like no one wants a bar of Islam. He's going to do it on 11 days. What a champion. But... That wanes, and history will show, he had two attempts at going up and getting that double champ, two at lightweight, and he lost them both. And he had, and he's going to take that risk on 11 days. That is what is quite remarkable about it. He's daring to be great. If he does get this, well, you're talking about him being the best ever. Forget weight classes, forget everything else. No champion has achieved what he's looking to achieve in this fight. So daring to be great. And for our Sydney listeners, we are broadcasting from the sun-drenched Wollongong Golf Club, right beside the world-famous Wollongong Ocean. We know that Wollongong's pubs and clubs, the bars are overflowing normally with an Alex Volkanovsky fight. But tomorrow morning, it's about 5am our time, if I'm not mistaken, Mitch. So yes. uh, mainevent.com.au, because the, the pub and club options won't be there like they normally are. Mainevent.com.au, if you want to watch the Volk, we'll, we'll wonder... Uh, what sort of eyeballs are up early to watch him tomorrow? There will um, be plenty. There will be absolutely plenty. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, this is Christmas Eve, like you said, it's Alex Volkanovski. I, I reckon since this has been announced, there's all this talk now, men and thinking about the Roman Empire, you know, how everyone is. I reckon my thoughts have turned to this fight since the announcement. I'd say once every, I don't know, 90 seconds. It's just been absolutely huge. It's just the absolute 10 Super Bowls crammed oh. into one. I've been that pumped for it since it happened, just because... Not just that, the rematch I was always pumped for, but just, oh boy, the narrative, the story. He, sh yeah. he should be in our business, Volk, because he's, he's writing a fair, a fair story. It, Everyone's rooting for the story. Every pub in Chill Harbour would be open if they had the licence to be able to do it. I guarantee you that, because you know they just absolutely love him down there. They're, they're just teaming with people every time he fights. I was interesting listening to Dana White talk about it too, that if he, if he can carry two belts and how logistically, obviously that creates some nightmares for you know, um, some headaches in terms of the logistics of how it all's going to work for the UFC, but they basically put their hands up and said, well, he can do what he wants now. Yeah, he's in that he's in that class now where you can basically sort of call your shot, you know, and that's just the way it works. He's that's, It's the one thing, of, as we talk about legacy and we talk about, you know, leaving a mark that no one's left before, there's been double champions before. There's been guys that have held two division belts simultaneously. None have won a champ at the lower division, gone up a division, yeah. and then come back down to their division and, and defended. No one's done that before, and that's what he wants to do. I can I can understand completely why the UFC doesn't want that happening, because that's there's less fights, obviously. If you've got a guy in two divisions, Volk said he's willing to keep it busy, but 
you know, it's pay-per-views. There's a lot of revenue involved when it comes to title fights. The 155 divisions quite stack so they want to be milking that as much as they can so if it's getting titles getting held up in in one guy mm. they don't necessarily like it if Falk were to get injured if he were to have an injury that was going to put him out for six nine months if that were to happen all of a sudden you've got two divisions held up so i can understand the, the reticence from the ufc to necessarily want that to happen but like dana white said if he wins this and pulls this off well he's calling his own. He, dana white might give him the put him in his office his own office <laughs> well, go. when this fight was announced in 10 seconds our little chat group received this from Mitch Jennings gentlemen we are set to witness the greatest combat sports moment in Australian history October 22 that sums up your excitement and how you're backing uh, the Volk to get the job done against Makachev now I last am. weekend I last weekend Tim Zhu went the distance won again and Sammy Goodman uh, another Illawarra, Albion Park to be precise, uh, pugilist, got the job done. Is he coming to Wollongong for a December world title fight? Uh, well, they're talking about December. I'm not sure if, I'm not 100% sure it'll be the world title fight. Like okay. I said, at the moment, they've got uh, Noya Inoue, obviously has two of the belts there in that division. Marlon Tapales has the other two. They're fighting to unify in December. Uh, that'll be Inoue by what he wants, when he wants. That'll be an absolute massacre, that. But mm. uh, that's the, that, So those titles are held up until Boxing Day. That's going to be on. So if he's fighting in December, I don't think it'll be that world title fight that he wants, but it'll be a, it'll be another high-caliber, stay-busy fight. I'll tell you what, Georgie Rose, I talk to him all the time. He's been dangling the Wollongong carrot in front of Sammy Goodman for a long time. But uh, Would that sell out the Win Entertainment Centre? Oh, absolutely. The way they sell things out, the way that times mad bunch it? goes. So, yeah, it'll be bad. And if you haven't gone to a fight, or haven't gone to that event, get on board, become part of the Mad Bunch. It was a really good fight from Sammy. Like I said, it was the first time he's gone in with that mandatory position that he holds uh, into a fight that where he's got it all, all to lose and nothing really to gain other than staying in shape, another camp, all that type of stuff. But he handled that prospect beautifully. I really thought in the eighth round he was going to have him out of there. But uh, look, he, he was quite measured there too. He didn't want to give you know uh, Miguel Flores that, that one puncher's chance. So I thought it was really... Really clinical and, uh, and professional. And uh, Tim Zhu, I'll tell you what, that doesn't bloody Brian Mendoza. What is the chin made of? Because I thought he was out of there that many times. He, he he didn't really put Timmy in danger. Like we said, he was uh, the most dangerous punching prospect that, that Timmy had fought on this rise that he's had uh, on the way up. And uh, again, professional is the way you'd call it again, Timmy. He was never really in trouble. He was in command of that fight against the highest calibre. Probably the well, most dangerous opponent he's probably faced you know, in this run. So he's off to the US. And I'll tell you what, it's the way he's going, it's so hard to see anyone at 154 test him other than Jamil Charlo. And with his inactivity, Charlo, his reticence to fight, he went up there and basically fought to survive against Canelo a couple of weeks ago. So give him raps for that, going up two divisions, but didn't really, you know, throw the kitchen sink at getting the win. So he's been unconvincing in his only fight in whatever the space is 18 months so if they can get if you can get him in the ring and they do meet uh you know you've got to think timmy he wouldn't be he won't be the favorite with the bookies that's just the reality over there there's that american bias and everything else but for mine if you can get some value on tim zoo in that fight with jamel charlo i think he's going to put charlo out of there well i love the fact that alex volkanovsky and sammy goodman are good mates they're supporting each other's careers they text each other i think that synergy is fantastic for this region and we're uh, Australia's fighting city. Sammy Goodman gets a world title. We've got the best ever absolutely. UFC fighter. Wollongong becomes Australia's fighting city. Forget everywhere else. Maybe our listeners uh, in Sydney and throughout the Illawarra can tell us what's Alex Volkanovsky going to do tomorrow against Makachev. What's that number against Tim Barrow? Text.
line 0457736736. Plenty more to come Saturdays in the gong because we're going to come back and talk a bit about drama at St George Illawarra. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. I've got... Just picture the scene, Kyle and Shane Flanagan rolling down Mount Oosley on their way to Wynn Stadium, thinking about all the wonderful things they're going to do with the Dragons this year. Two tickets to paradise. Kyle Flanagan just playing in the halves alongside Ben Hunt and Shane Flanagan obviously coaching him. Huge drama this week for St George Illawarra with Teletau Amon. Found guilty of a hammer attack assault at Warrawong last year involved with his father. He won't be uh, sentenced until December, but stood down indefinitely for the Dragons. Blows another huge hole in the plans for Shane Flanagan. Given that Ben Hunt wanted out for a release, uh, Jaden Sullivan has gone to the Tigers and Kyle Flanagan's coming the other way to come to the Dragons. What do we make of all of this now, boys? Well, Mr Jennings, we'll wait and see what the judge decides in December in terms of sentencing. But the conclusion, the obvious conclusion is that Talatau Amon would be very lucky to ever play for St George Illawarra or in the NRL again. Is that a fair assessment? I think it'd have to be a fair assessment because the, the, the fact is he's off contract. He was free to negotiate with other clubs from November 1. Obviously, I I'm, had this process still been going on. I don't know how much value we would have had out there in the market, but given he's only got that one year on the Dragons contract, I think it'll get torn up. And as for his, as for his long-term future, where where or if that, that might be is another question, but I think certainly at the Dragons, it's it's the one year he's only signed for 2024, and that's something that a lot of people say, oh, you know, this is a disaster. It is. It's not It's not great. It's far from the ideal scenario. But, look, I think Talatel Moan was playing for his future at the Dragons, regardless of this happening. If he were there next year, obviously stockpiling some cash, you've got Ben Hunt only there for 2025. So all of a sudden in that halves, in that halves area, you've got all this money that you can try to throw at a, at a marquee half. But, uh, yeah, it's... I think their overall position, as far as what they'll do in the market, where they can go, I really don't think this honestly is too much of a dent to it. Like I said, he was off contract in 2024. But boy, oh boy, if you can't do some wheeling and dealing and, and get someone across for 2024, boy, the cupboard looks bare. Kyle Flanagan, you mentioned, Baz, as I understand it, he was brought across to, to be a hooker. Obviously, yeah. not, a, not a ton of depth. In the hooking to the Dragons, Jacob Little, I thought, had his best year in the NRL last year. He was playing up above 70 minutes, some creativity and speed out of dummy half. I thought he came on, but, you know, you need more depth than that. At hooker, obviously, Connor Mulheeson came on late. Uh, mm. There was a chance he was going to be re-signed, but as I understand it, Kyle Flanagan was going to be there to, to bolster, the, as a bit of cover in the halves, but bolster the hooking ranks. All of a sudden... You know, he's, and that's going to be, look, that's another factor for, for Flano to deal with, isn't it? There's already, you've got Jaden Sullivan's gone on a on a four-year deal to the Tigers. He was the future of the club for so Half long. Half a generation was. next gone. Jaden Sullivan, Tell him on it. That, that SG ball side, Max Fino is free to go. They're all, it'll be amazing if within however many seasons that uh, that entire class has sort of moved on. But as far as Jaden Sullivan moving on, and then obviously with circumstances, they can't have been entirely unanticipated. 
you know, mm. I don't, you know it's he was always hanging over his head. So I think, and I think through obviously the Jack the Bellon saga and everything else, I think the Dragons as a club have been, become smart enough to to not put all their eggs in one basket either way when this type of thing's going on. But that'll be a factor if, if Cole Flanagan's in the halves, the optics, because obviously it's circumstances no one's anticipated, but Jaden Sullivan's over at the Tigers. If he's killing it next year yeah. for the Tigers, and we're over here and Cole Flanagan's going through more of the, you know, the, the willy or won't he type part of the career he's been in, Dad's the coach. I mean, there's going to be some. Like I said that'll be that'll be another factor. So it's it's not the circumstances anyone meant to create, but that'll become a factor it, as well. It was fairly recently that a large portion of the Dragons fan base were willing to go through the pain, knowing that they were going to have, you know, Sullivan and Amone coming through as the next generation with Sloan. And as we've said, that's now blown apart. Now I know Cole Flanagan has been much maligned during his career, but watching him at the Bulldogs, he. Last year, he actually played quite well in a really bad situation at halfback for the for the Bulldogs. They brought in Reed Marnie. He ended up in reserve grade at hooker, has that utility value, can be the 14 coming off the bench. So I think he's got a role, definitely got a role to play at the Dragons. But the question now is, is as it stands, I mean, do they come in him being the sort of serviceable halfback and let Ben Hunt sort of roam free? Well, imagine, this is the other factor though, imagine if under these circumstances we see the rebirth of Kyle Flanning and he was there at the Roosters, he was coming through, he was the half that yeah. was going to be the mm. next the next big gun and obviously we know the, the tumult he's gone through in his career since but uh, imagine if under these circumstances he, he comes in gets an opportunity there and really starts you know under his dad who, who would get him well and obviously be able to put him in a good mindset and good positions if he comes on and takes that jumper boy oh boy wouldn't that be wouldn't that is be someone going to parachute into the discussion like a, a drew hutchison a kurt Mann, or some player of that ilk in coming months i think that's the way i think honestly that's where they should be going i think someone in that utility place for me is, is if you sign for example a drew hutchison mm. we know for years he's found a role in that roosters side that's been a sensational side playing everywhere centers in the back row whatever you can do if you sign him and you can put him in the halves alongside a ben hunt he can have you know he might have another breakout year and he might establish himself as a half again as well but you can sign him on a multi-year deal knowing that you've got him for 2024 in the halves, and then you can still bring in a marquee half and you'll find another role mm. for Drewy. So I think, honestly, with the dearth of playmakers available for 2024, it's the direction I'd be going. Someone like a Drew Hutchison, I, I do think, I think he'd be perfect for this scenario in the absence of any half being available. The other option is that they, they start playing their big fish card for 2025. They've got some cash available there. They go after a Jerome Luai and Ezra Mam or whatever. You sign him to a monster deal for 2025, and then you've got either Penrith or Brisbane hypothetically going, well, do we want him around for, the, for this year if he's just going to go the year after? Their, their club's in a position that can afford to make sort of those ruthless decisions. So there is the option that if you go and get your big fish for 2025, you can then leverage him in a bit earlier. But I think that, from what I can see on the surface of it, we're looking at a... If you're going to tip right now, the round one halves of the Dragons, you'd have to think it was it was Ben Hunt and Kyle Flanagan. And I'm tipping Kevin Walters is keeping Ezra Mann for 2024. Oh, I wouldn't, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're not, not, not just letting that slide any time easily, nah, are nah. you? I mean, even with Ben Hunt as a potential trade carrot, it's not something you're just going to let go there straight go. away. There you go, Baz. You've just thrown it up. Oh, I'm with That'd you, though. Like, makes sense. Drew Hutchison, when you throw that out there, it's a divisive issue. People blow up about potentially signing him. Others are quite in favour of it. But he's 28. It, it, would be a, it would be a homecoming. It would be for a period. We've got to realise what they'd Where? be signing him for. That's they're not, right. They're not saying, That's okay, right. he's our, he's our sixth no. now for the next five years. It's not what that type of signing would be about. It'd be a signing that, without breaking the bank, 
ticks multiple boxes and serves multiple purposes. So I think if you understand it for what it is, this is all hypothetical, obviously, at this point, but that type of signing, if you understand it for what it is and look at it for what it is, it becomes pretty cluey if you can get it done right. He's 28, and as an Albion Park junior, he's the type of player that really could help them reach, reach their potential. He might not be a premiership player with them, but he might be that player that can sort of guide them back to the top eight. And help them win a few games next year they wouldn't have otherwise won. And when it comes to St George Illawarra fans, they need a bit of success in the short term. They can't be looking just at 2025 and 2026. Because we've got... The interesting thing I'd love about the Drew Hutchison story as well, you've got to remember, he came along, he was going to be you know, the next great half for the Dragons. And then he'd come behind Benji Marshall. And then obviously there was that situation where Ben Hunt signed on that monster deal uh, a year ahead of time. And there was that ensuing, that in, sorry, that year before he was going to arrive. That was going to be Drewy's year. That was supposed to be the one he established himself, probably sets himself up as Ben Hunt's part, half's partner long-term in that scenario, does his ACL has a rough time so a, a do-over and a chance at uh, doing it in his home club would be uh, you know not hard to get caught up in the romance of that well boys we've tried to solve the dragons problems we'll head to the news and come back we'll talk to maddie campbell and see oh, how I've we can fix the horse. <laughs> there's a new player in town wollongong city gwm havel visit them for a test drive today you're listening to saturdays in the gong on SEN track Oh, Matt Russell's taking control of the playlist here at Saturdays in the Gong. We're oh, live from Wollongong Golf Club this morning. Talking NBL with a Hawks great, uh, Matt Campbell. Melbourne United last night, 101, defeated the Hawks, 91. A bit of a slow start. They mounted a comeback before halftime, but the game slipped away. Uh, Matty Campbell, um, a difficult night again for the Hawks. What do you take from it? Yeah, look, um, you know, like, as you said, we, we, we got up to a, a pretty good start right at the very, uh, as the tip-off went. I think we are up 12 to 5 and then, yeah, kind of let that Melbourne United steam train just get running and uh, their execution um, and, the, and their ability to understand where they can get good opportunities uh, was just too much for us. I think at one stage they were shooting like 87% from the two-point range, so... It's really tough to, to beat a team when they're, when they're so efficient at executing their offensive sets. Matty, I'm a big believer in the fact that Tyler Harvey, Justin Robinson will start to shoot the ball better when the team begins to defend better. I think your offense will flow from your defense. That's what the experts tell me. That's what the coach tells me. How big a fix is this defensive problem for the Hawkies, which leaked another 101 points last night? Yeah, yeah. well, that's pretty much 100 points for every game so far this year for us. Um, yeah, it, look, it is a big problem. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's, uh, you know, something that, that you would talk about in all sports. Uh, defence wins championships. And, you know, it, we've got the horses. We've definitely got the individual talent to defend. That's uh majority of the group was recruited on that ability. Um, so, yeah, just got to lock in. And I, I think the boys at this stage, uh, are playing selfishly, but not deliberately. It's not a deliberate ploy. It's a, a very much, I don't want to get beat, so you know I can stay on the floor and play more court time, where I think at this stage, they need to you know, understand that it's, it's about team. You know, it's, it's about doing it as a group, making sure that they can continue to, um, continue to um, uh, make sure that they 
play as a team, they talk as a team, they play defense as a team, and that that comes from five guys on the floor at, at once, all coming together, playing for each other, and sacrificing. And you know, at this stage, I think we're still trying to find that identity. Um, we showed real glimpses uh, last night. We showed glimpses in the last couple of weeks of, of some brilliance, both defensively and offensively. So it's just a, the the matter of consistency right now. And um, Unfortunately, we've, we've lost that opportunity to play our way into it. It's now, you know, the desperation side of it starts to slide in. The, the scoreboard pressure puts even more on the guys when they're on the floor. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those times where this is either going to galvanise the group or they're going to pull themselves apart. So um, we'll be working hard this week with the coaching group to, to make sure they put everything in place so that it is a, a galvanising situation. And, you know, it's definitely not completely dire straight but it's starting to get a bit more serious now Maddie, how important is perspective in that regard because uh, I mean it's a, it's a new group it's a new season but as far as a lot are concerned you know someone like me that's covers an entire season last year the fans that turn up all through last year it, it doesn't quite feel like the Hawks are one and four at the moment it feels like it's it's you know four and and 30 odd uh, at the moment just with the the ghost of last year I guess lingering even though it's a different group how much do you think that, or how how much is how tough is that sort of to deal with the playing group, and how how important is it to I guess keep that in perspective that while it's far from ideal, it is one and four, it is not four and thirty. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting run, right? You've got those demons from the year before where it starts to creep in, going, oh, oh no, we don't want to have a season like that. So, and, and you get that negativity in the playing style, and I, I, I feel. And you would have seen it last night when, when Melbourne United stuck their head in front by, I think, once they got it to 10, I could see the real drop in the in the, in the the group. Like, it's, oh, no, not again type scenario. Um, and again, this comes down to, A, leadership. The, the leaders need to be better on the floor. But also just focusing on process rather than result. Um, you know, a bit of a cliche, I suppose, in most sports. But, you know, if, if, if you lock in on, oh, we want to win... Uh, you know, you, you forget about how to win. Um, and I think this group has forgotten about how to win. They've forgotten about the little things that help you win games. Um, you know, helping your teammate out. You know, the little one percenters. Um, all those little things that you talk about as cliches in sport, they are important. And putting them all together in the team environment are the things that make teams successful. Um, and you're going to have bad people on the night. You can, you know, not every night every player is going to play well. Um, Nathan Cleary in the grand final, for instance, you know, the team carried him along until that period where he puts 20 minutes together of brilliant football to, 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 win, to win it from their point of view. You kind of need that on a basketball court too. You've got five guys at one time. Um, you've, got to, you've got to make sure that you can carry um, someone who's not playing well. The problem for the Hawks right now is we've got multiple people not playing well. Um, we just need to find five or six guys on the night that, that, are, that, are, that are playing well stick with those guys and uh, we'll be able to turn it around. Matty, a couple of stories out of last night. Firstly, congratulations to the club. Andrew Voss, Vossy, SEN fame, Fox Sports fame, came down with his young bloke and brought a friend who just hasn't had the same opportunities in life that most of us have. In fact, it was his first big 
sporting event. He was awestruck by the occasion. Fossey um, really? shouted him right. a, a hat and a singlet. And Anyway, the club got wind of this young fella uh, and, and his, his battles. And next thing, the young bloke was taken courtside. Wonderful touch. Yeah. Just, had a, just had a brilliant night. Memories that will stay with him forever. So thank you to the club for, for great service on that front. My interview with Joe Luala Chul at halftime, Matty. I don't know whether you've seen that because you were there last night. But uh, oh, I, I did, Matty. I asked him three questions. I think yeah. I got two words back out of, out of three questions. Does Joe Luala Chul hate me, Matty? Have I been brushed by Joe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't be the first person to hate you. So I dare say he's probably... He's joined into it. He joined a long line. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, he's very quiet. He's uh, unassuming. And, um, you know, again, he's coming back from an injury. He was quite good last night. They're going to be better as he gets going as well. I'll say, I'll say Matty, I find that very ordinary. Honestly, you don't have to be too expansive. Those halftime interviews are, you know, they're... They're never going to be. You're not going to sit down. It's not 60 minutes. You're not going to sit down there and get a, and get a tell-all. But you're, I, I think, honest, in all seriousness, you're entitled to get more than that, Matty. You're there doing your job, being a professional. And it's not just necessarily JLA and that. When athletes do that, it's just stupid. Oh, I it's feel stupid enough. and you look like an absolute goose. And I think that's what... I, I'm, I'm serious about that. Honestly, people go yeah. there and they give these one-word answers and think they're being clever, they're being funny, they're being whatever, and it's just stupid. You oh, look like a goose, and I've I think got, that's what happened. I, I, I think Matty's right. He's just a very quiet bloke. I've dealt enough with Wayne Bennett not to take it personally, but for, for viewers who didn't see it, first question, first half back from a wrist injury, Joe, how's the body feel? Good. Um, 59 points by your team. Reaction to that? Not much. Uh, long chat with the referee at halftime. What was that about? We'll keep it in-house. Thanks, Joe. Enjoy your halftime Thanks break. Thanks for your time. Yeah, <laughs> it is. That's why you get paid really. the big bucks, right, man? So <laughs> I don't disagree, boys. Look, I tell you, I, I, it is. You know, how hard is it to give him a bit of media training before he gets on the floor and go? Right, you're probably going to be asked these questions. This is kind of, you know, even what you should be answering with, and uh, you know, keep it upbeat. Talk about the club. Talk about, you know, the league. You know, it's not that hard to give him some uh, little cheat sheets to to at least be able to tap it along and give him five words instead of the two, the one word, uh, one word answers. Well, Joe Luala Chul, Ariel Huckporty gives them some big horses. Melbourne look good for me. And the Hawkies against the uh, jet-lagged Cairns Taipans on Thursday night. Uh, gee, that becomes important. Yeah, huge game oh, for you, Matt. Super important. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's unbelievable, <laughs> really, when you look at the scheme of the year. Like, like where we were with, with, with one and three... With the, with the start, I went, ah, oh, you know, that's, that's about where we were hoping to be. I was hoping for two and two, given that we, we started with the Sydney Kings. We played against, you know, Tasmania. We knew in Tasmania, we knew that was going to be tough. We had South East Melbourne, one of the front runners as well. Um, I actually thought that, you know, we, we would be right where we'd want to be. But this game, the game last night was important. I thought we'd be able to sneak the one against Melbourne because they've been playing well, but I thought our home court, we'd be able to get that. That puts us back to two and three. And then getting cans would have put us back to three and three. Now, that was the plan in the head from moving forward. So now, obviously, where we sit, this game against Cairns is crucial. Like, it's literally, uh, there, there, there is that crossroads in the season, and this will be it for us, I think. You know, if we, we drop this one, it's a real hard road to get back into it. The good news is for Hawks fans and for me, is that the, the top six make the finals? So yeah, and and a losing record got in it last year. So we can we can fight our way into the finals um, you know, if you find some form. But I mean, it makes it harder for the the belief of the group if we don't get uh, the game on Thursday night. Matt Campbell, appreciate your time, mate. We'll see you back on the de- desk next week. No worries. Thanks, guys.
There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. You're back here with Saturdays in the Gong. We've been talking a bit of boxing, UFC and boxing this morning on Saturdays in the Gong. We throw to Pete, the perfect panel puncher from Putney, our operator here live from Wollongong Golf Club. He comes to us with a remarkable moment in history as part of his facts of life each and every week. What have you got for us, Pete? Thank you, Tim. Well, we're going to talk boxing this morning. Opera House's 50th birthday last night. One of the great boxing venues in Sydney. We've had the Sydney Stadium, then we had the Horton Pavilion, then Jeff Fennick filled the Entertainment Centre in the 80s with all his fights. What about the Sydney Opera House? They had boxing there in 1982. It was a, a super metal, super welterweight title fight between Alex Temelkov and Ken Salisbury. And like a lot of boxing matches, it ended in high farce with one of the trainers clipping one of the boxers in the corner. <clears throat> the brother of Temelov then ran across the ring from outside the ring, gave a flying kick to the other trainer. That signalled the all-in brawl. Everybody poured, everybody <laughs> poured into the ring from left, right and centre. The referee was uh, Sharky Raymond, who a lot of people would know as a, a young boxer who unfortunately had to retire early. Sharky was the referee. Sharky got involved at the melee. He was throwing punches left, right and centre. And then one of the promoters of the fight, Tom Radonikas, he got into the ring and bizarrely, Tom was actually trying to stop the fighting. So the opera house descended the, into chaos. Absolute high fuss. <laughs> the head, the head of calm is Tommy Radonigas and all of that. Well, that shows That's tells right. you a fair bit, doesn't and it? And as Mitch Jennings reminded me, Tommy had a Hessian sack full of cash, having taken some bets while he was in the ring trying to be peacemaker. Yep. The Hessian sack got pinched, <laughs> never to be seen again. Never to be seen. So I've got a promotional idea, Pete. We could go Swan Lake. Uh, into Tim Zoo, into New York Philharmonic Orchestra. You sort of triple treat. Quite what a promotion that would be. I'm, I'm sure the Opera House would lap it up. <laughs> um, they were, so you could actually start to call it the Sydney Opera House of Stoush. There you w- go. W- would be the name for it. And uh, the other sporting event there was um, Alice Schwarzenegger won his fourth Mr. Olympiad title at the Opera House as well. So if bodybuilding's a sport, that was it as well. But just getting back to Sharky Raymond, who unfortunately his career was cut short by injury. Many years later, Sharky uh, was giving a character reference for one of his mates in court. Uh, and the judge uh, said to him, uh, you know, what's your name and, you know, uh, what, what's your background? Uh, and he said, oh, sir, my name's David Bruce Ballard. I was in the demolishing business and I was also one time a boxer. And the judge, who had been an amateur boxer himself, early in, young man, said, whatever happened to that Sharky Raymond? Sharky said, that's me. <laughs> Superb. You never disappoint, Pete, but you've come up with an absolute gem once again. Saturday's in the gong. we better get to one more break. We're going to come back with our other favourite segment, Bang, Bang the, the gong. gong. Bang the Gong. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturday's in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. 
Bang the gong here on Saturdays in the gong. Tim Barrow, Mitch Jennings and Matt Russell. We talk about the best and the worst of the Illawarra for the week. Mitch Jennings, what do you got for us? Not to, I don't want to, this isn't about giving myself a rap, okay? I want to say, but, yeah, <laughs> Which no, has okay. never stopped you oh, before. Good the gong. Okay, your turn, Baz. <laughs> what, I, what, what, I want to talk, what I want to talk about is I want to give the Hawks a rap and I want to give the great man Phil Driscoll a wrap this week. Now, anyone in the Illawarra that's been around that sort of sport, certainly around the Hawks, would know Phil. Matty, I know you know Phil mm. very, very well. Been there since absolutely day dot, various roles, whatever is required. He's, as Daniel Greeter put it the other day, he's sort of like the grandfather to all. It's just do things like that. The best example I can give of what his role is now, Dan Greeter obviously went through some really dark times yeah. uh, with some knee injuries and, and everything else. And there was a time he couldn't even watch practice. He just said, I can't watch practice. To, and Phil would go in and sit with him in the sheds for hours just talking, just so he wasn't by himself, just to keep him part of the group. It's the type of guy Phil Driscoll is, and he's having some health issues at the moment. But the Hawks have come out, and they've named the game day locker room the Phil Driscoll locker room, yep. which, you know, you've seen the video there online, incredible. So I'm going to bang the, the gong on Phil. I'm going to bang the gong on the club for doing it. And like he said, he goes, you can't put his name in the rafters because he's not there. And he said, I don't want it in the rafters. He goes, the locker room's perfect. He goes, yeah. that's my domain. That's where I not go. Not just up. Hawks, Dragons too. Always around the exactly. club, helping out. Doc, just, we call him. Just I liked it. Yeah, exactly. And just the way, like as Jacob Jacobus put it to me, he goes, for years and years to come, people are going to come in, new people are going to come in and go, oh, who's Phil Driscoll? And he goes, and we'll get to explain who that is. So bang the gong one more time. Beautiful. Well done. Wollongong Golf Club is where we broadcast from, but the Port Kembla Golf Club celebrating their 100-year anniversary tonight. Uh, used to exist the golf club at Hill 60 before they moved down towards that Primby area. And as I read through the history this week before their big dinner tonight, uh, about 1950, somewhere around there, they bought two poker machines and one tractor. And I like that. <laughs> Buy two of what feeds you and one of what costs you money. There you go. Happy birthday, Port Kembla Golf Club. Superb. Two quick ones from me. My young bloke went to the UOW Innovation Science Centre this week. Had an absolutely ripping time. If you're up there in Sydney, come down for the day. Make that part of your agenda there at the Innovation Campus. It's perfect for kids. A bang the gong. And the Sydney Water, the life-saving, surf life-saving, some of the next generation of Ironmen uh, on here down at Warilla Surf Life-saving Club today. So get down there and enjoy the action if you get the chance. Thanks for joining us in Sydney for the first hour. You can stick with us on the app or the website after 9 o'clock. Otherwise, you're off to the Mowers Club with James Magnuson and Justin Horro. 1575 SEN Track Illawarra for Saturdays in the Gong. We'll be back with plenty more. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Yeah, you're back here. The second hour of Saturdays in the Gong, live from the glorious Wollongong Golf Club with thanks to our sponsors, Avcon, specialising in industrial and response projects. Thanks to Ryan Burke at the team. Find them at avgonprojects.com.au. Impact Garage Doors, impacting homes for 20 years. Impactgaragedoors.com.au. And the Illawarra Mercury. Subscribe online today at illawarramercury.com. 
Dot.au. Well, just like Saturday's in the gong, the Eddie Jones Circus rolls on with the Wallabies. But before we get to that, let's talk about this morning's World Cup semi-final with our rugby correspondent, Toby Dawson. Good morning, mate. G'day, Baz. How are you, mate? Yeah, brilliant, mate. Brilliant. I'll tell you what, who were brilliant? The All Blacks. They're just rolling into perfect form for a final. Oh, watching the game, it just looked like a pre-season trial for the All Blacks. You know, you look at the way that the pools all stacked up, you know. Interestingly, about three weeks ago with the World Cup, it was the Northern Hemisphere year. Southern Hemisphere clubs and countries don't know how to play rugby and it's, you know, we're all going to be leaving. After the quarterfinals last week, three of the four teams are from the Southern Hemisphere. Unfortunately, not our Wallabies, but England are the only ones there and that's purely because of a good draw. They're not playing good footy. They won't be in a highlights reel, but then watching this morning's game, the ABs just absolutely romped home over the Argentinians. It just looked like a pre-season trial. It's the Rugby Championship in October. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm, it's a good point you, you raised there, Toby, and I, I do want to draw people's attention to it. was the, the great Paul Carley in the Sydney Morning Herald, I thought, wrote some brilliant analysis on that fact. We keep talking about there's all these excuses being made about, oh, look, it doesn't prepare us. We need rugby in Europe. You need that Six Nations. Well, look, as the Sands are. He goes, we're already in the best. There's three of the four semi-final teams uh, from there. Argentina, since they made that rise, I wasn't aware of this, have a better record in tournaments than all the Six Nations countries bar England. So the excuse making about, oh, it's all up in the Northern Hemisphere, we can't compete with rugby and league and AFL down here and, oh, we're just sort of lost and forgotten about it, doesn't really hold water. I thought it was a great analysis. We're in still part of, generally in the broader sense, the powerhouse region, which is demonstrated. It, it clearly gets players and teams ready for World Cups in a superior fashion to the Six Nations. That's borne out in the facts. 100%. If you look at the media, like, there's been a lot of conversation around the Wallabies and it has been an absolutely atrocious World Cup campaign. We're out early. We didn't even leave the pool stage. But don't listen to the echo chamber of Australian rugby when making judgments around the quality of the competition we're in. You know, we're talking a lot at the moment around the Super Rugby comp. Is five teams too many? And if you look at it through the fact that a lot of those teams have got to be propped up by marquee or international players from other comps... It's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, we need to look at where the five teams works. But if we're feeding those teams with good quality players from New Zealand, from South Africa, from Argentina even, like that's not a bad thing because quite clearly the results are showing that the Southern Hemisphere rugby, the style of rugby, and this is the other thing, Northern Hemisphere play ugly, slow, boring football. If you are interested in rugby, you've never seen rugby or you're a rugby diehard, I recommend you go back to last weekend's quarterfinal matches. They are four of the best games you will ever see. And hands down, I reckon the All Blacks versus Ireland game is the best game of rugby I've ever watched. At the, at the start of the game, the All Blacks got to about 35 phases back-to-back. -back, right? So that's six sets in a rugby league game back-to-back. -back, just holding the ball, no mistakes, clinical quality football. At the, death of the, at the back end of the game, at the death of it, Ireland held the pill for 40 phases and they kept going, looking for those final points. If they'd converted those 40 phases into points, they would have knocked off the All Blacks, but the All Blacks just played such a strong defensive game. They held them off and they're in, they're in the semis and today had a training run against the Pumas. I was there. I was on the Ireland bandwagon, so it was disappointing to see in the end. The other interesting fact that came out of the article for me too, if we keep talking about the recruitment and we stop losing them and I'll just go because I'm sure we're going to discuss uh, Uncle Eddie's press conference the, the other day which was far more yeah far more tempered than perhaps the one on the way to the World Cup but it 
gets pointed out too that they're, they're actually getting further and further apart, Rugby League and Rugby Union. They're, they're becoming less and less of a recruitment threat and less and less of an recruitment excuse. With the way rugby played now, with the size of the bodies, the length of the stoppages and the gaps between efforts, there's an argument being made or a school of thought that it's actually closer these days to the NFL than it is to, to Rugby League. There's very few crossovers that are going to make impact to wingers. Really, it's basically down to wingers, and that's the only place where there's crossover. So the whole we're losing them to, to rugby league or we can't compete with AFL, it, it's a different, it's a completely different game. I think they're becoming less of a threat, and that's going to become less and less of an excuse as the years go on. Oh, 100%. You, exactly to your point, you know, there was an announcement this week uh, around an NFL player from, uh, from America that's going to be playing at the Olympics in the rugby side because exactly that point, there, there's size. Rugby is different to league in that context of your body shape. All right, you, on a on a rugby league field, one to thirteen can all be built the same. They run the same. They play the same game. Whereas in rugby, you still need to have your props. Your tight head and your your loose head are going to be built very differently to your heart, your scrum half or your wingers. But <clears throat> in terms of the way they play the game, it's it, it's more of a strategic game. It's not that ongoing intensity that you get with rugby league. It's physical, but it's not that high impact physicality. It's that ongoing, you know. Uh, wrestle over the ball, it's the rucks, it's the malls, it's that ongoing contest. But there are the stoppages. You get the scrums, you get the lineouts, you get the penalty kicks, all of that jazz gives you a bit of a time for a blow. And you, I think you're not too far off with looking at the alignment with NFL. Well, the Northern Hemisphere's last great hope, England take on South Africa tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock. We're going to get a classic North versus South showdown here? Oh, I don't think it'll be much of a showdown. If you look at the way that the Springboks are playing football, they are clinical. They they worked for four years for the World Cup stage. You know, they lifted the trophy the last time through. Um, they are just... Watch some, watch some of their games in the pool, if you haven't. Watch their game last week against France, where they knocked out the fairy tale ending for the beautiful French side, which Ireland and France, I was happy to see both of them win. Um... I don't like South Africa. Sorry to all of our South African <laughs> listeners out there. Yeah, down here in the gong. Yeah, down here in the gong. I've got to tell you, there's just something about South African rugby that just doesn't excite me. But if you look at the way they play, there's no way England can get over them. You know, England nearly lost to summer or in the uh, pool game. They're winning matches, and they are the only quarterfinal team to have not dropped a match at this World Cup. Well, you d- I've got to say, as a, as a caveat, you did say the Wallabies were going to beat Wales. We were pretty certain about that. So I'm going, I think there's a chance, if you are listening out there, if you can get some value on England, the Toby Dawson yeah. curse is a powerful, they call it powerful the kiss of death. swinger. They yeah, call it, it the, the kiss, kiss of death. Right? It's the slow kiss of death. But yeah, the the um, the Springboks, the way that they beat France last week, like it wasn't the most beautiful, like All Blacks Island, great game of football. Springboks, France, not a, it was a really good game of football in the contest, the skill, whatnot, just not as exciting. But the way that the Springboks won the match, it was the 81st minute that they were working to. They knew that they just had to be methodical, they had to be clinical, they had to execute. They will win the balls in the air, they'll put the kicks up and they'll win those. They've got Fafta Clerk at the back of the scrum who's just a bit, you know, unpredictable. You never know if he's going to pass, if he's going to run. You've got the physicality of the guys like Etzebeth that will just bash and beat and they will win that contest England I don't think have got what it takes to beat that to counter that in saying that England lost to Fiji two weeks before the World Cup started they were in a bit of a shambles you had Farrell out on the sidelines with that contested uh, red card saga ongoing 
And they, over the course of this World Cup, they came in pretty broken. They've built DNA. They've built their team. They've built an understanding. So they're still growing. There is going to be a challenge. And maybe it is. If you can get the right odds, <laughs> have a look. Because I have, I have got, got good form at the so he could, Or you can get a power up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Throw it in the multi. Maybe it's worth a look. But uh, I, I just can't say the, the, the clinical, the methodical South African style of football going down to England uh, tomorrow morning. And that's the thing about South Africa. They didn't just beat the French team. They beat the entire country to make it through to the semi-final. A huge win, and what a final it'll be if it's South Africa against New Zealand next week. Now, back to our own issues back here in Australia, and Eddie Jones finally got on the front foot at a press conference and swore his allegiance to Australia, but the journo, Sydney Morning Herald's Tom Decent, who broke the original story about the interview with Japanese rugby at the uh, during in, into the World Cup campaign, said that this might not be the end of it just yet. The one thing I would say, there's more to this story. I mean, clearly, Eddie has denied that he is taking part in a second interview next month, and our information that is... Um, he will do that, and you've got to remember, too, this is not just the Sydney Morning Herald. This is the ABC, the Daily Telegraph, the Telegraph in the UK, and multiple Japanese outlets, which I think is even more important that Japan papers are running this story as well, and he's very much in the mix to that Japan job. It is extraordinary that a national coach is... Well, he's used his words selectively at times in terms of what his movements have actually been. But you rarely see such a steadfast split between a coach who's prepared to put on the record the fact that I'm staying and multiple media outlets. Now, you can bag journos, you can bag the media, but they're not there for fun and games. You know, they go and do their own research. They've got plenty plenty of sources within the industry. And they're coming from, as he said, not just the Sydney Morning Herald. There's not just one outlet. It's not even just one country. It's coming from both ends in terms of Japan and Australia. It's almost Trumpian. It's almost like it's there and I'm just going to say, nah, it's not happening. I mean, we call him Eddie Jones or Shaggy. It wasn't me. Like, what are we going to do? To me, it's just, it's bizarre. It's very tempered. It was it was interesting to watch too because you could see Eddie's a combative, combative character, but he's, he's come back from a World Cup that's been awful. There's all this stuff going on that he can't, firmly deny so you could see he had it he didn't he was coiled he had it cocked but he couldn't quite go the way he wanted to go hard in certain things so I don't know what do you think I think it's always said I think a guy like Eddie with his resume that does speak for itself as bad as this has been for uh, for Australian rugby in this in this instance, but I think he's always going to have a place to land with something and that could be that could be what's going on honestly it could be what's happening I just making sure, knowing how bad this is, knowing the fallout, if you're trying to find a soft place to land, if that's going on. But what do you, Toby, how does this sustain for the next <laughs> many years towards a World Cup? Every time, every time there's a photo of Eddie Jones having sushi, drinking sake, doing anything like that. As long as he's got an Akubra and a half-done tie, right? Yeah, he better be wearing that Akubra when he's hooking into some sashimi <laughs> because otherwise the links are going to go further and further. Mate, we love the drunk, all right? No, I think there's two points, though, to, to what you're saying there, Jenna, is that there's the Eddie Jones and the role that he can play into the 2027 campaign and the British and Irish Lions in 2025. And then there's the the piece at the moment with the Japanese rugby. Now, the Japanese rugby situation, he's denying. He's you know put him in for the first couple of overs at the uh, at the New Year's test because he's just putting that ball he's straight back down the pitch. He? <laughs> you know, he's he's not going out. But I, I think the Japanese rugby situation is now contractual. He cannot demonstrate to Australian rugby that he has done something that would otherwise be. Uh, 
misaligned with his contractual obligations. In the same breath, Rugby Australia can't make comments that would otherwise demonstrate that they maybe don't want to remain in a contractual relationship with Eddie Jones. So at the moment, it's a Mexican standoff between the two. If the facts come out, if, you know, Tom Decent has from day one said, I'm 100% confident that this happened, that this is why they were talking. It wasn't just Eddie being a sounding board for, you know, his old mates on how they could run a recruitment process. Tom Decent said from day one, he is talking to them about a job. He's now backed it up. They're now saying that there's another job interview coming up for the second round. He's He is... 100% steadfast, Tom Decent, that it is happening, it has happened, and that is why they're talking. But Australian rugby can't declare a position without Eddie playing his cards first because they do not have the money to end the contract. Australian rugby is on its knees financially. If they want to oust Eddie, he'll be at the... Given the gardening leave clause that he had from English Rugby Union, he would be getting paid by uh, the English rugby... Australian rugby, and then gets a contract with Japan. It's a lot of sashimi. It's a lot of sashimi. He's the triple threat. I'm getting paid by three bosses at once. And who said Eddie Jones was an idiot? No one no one can validate that him, he's an idiot because he's about to be potentially paid by three different rugby unions. Eddie Jones heading into Des Hasler territory. Yeah, he's getting there, isn't he? <laughs> there in terms of contractual stuff. But, I mean, it's uh, yeah, there's a lot to play out there and, you know, really shouldn't take the shine off watching a World Cup as much as the Wallabies aren't there because it'll be a sensational finish to the World Cup. England plays South Africa tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock. Let's head to a break. We're going to go come back and talk some racing on Caulfield Cup Day. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Saturdays in the Gong Live from Wollongong Golf Club. Tim Barrow, Matt Russell and Mitch Jennings. We're going to talk racing because it's a massive day today. Caulfield Cup Day down there in Melbourne. Five Diamonds Prelude Day at Randwick after a massive Everest Day last week, which Mitch Jennings enjoyed himself at. And joining us on the line for a big race day at Kembla Grange as well is Illawarra Turf Club Chief Executive Steve Keane. Good morning, Steve. Yeah, good morning, lads. How are you going? Brilliant, mate. It's a cracking day for it. You've got, well, we've got eight races there today, starting at 1.30. I tell you what, I'm a little bit disappointed. I've got a share in the Mitch Beer Philly well in sight. We've decided to go to Wagga on Monday instead of Royal Kembla today. So I won't be in, on track enjoying the festivities, but it will be a ripping uh, day there, mate. What's, uh, what's the condition? What's the report? Yeah, look, it will be a ripping day. And with Mitch scratching, we might have to look at uh, upping his track fees when he starts here if he's, <laughs> he's going to run him at uh, Wagga instead of Kembla. So, but that's something we can take off, take care of during the week. So, But, yeah, look, the track's come up a, a good four. Um, as you can see, we've got a perfect day. Um, and, yeah, to kick off Legends Day, which is um, something that the club will 
well, you know, we're, we're privileged to honour you know, these people that, that did so much for the club and, and look to continue to honour them uh, into the future. So, um, yeah, looking forward to a really good day and there'll be a, there'll be a lot of people on, on track. So the first four Illawarra Turf Club legends have been inducted. A new initiative from the club, which is fantastic. Bede Murray among them, the late great Bede Murray. Also the Queen of Kembla, Gwenda Markwell, recognised among that group. Julie Humphreys, who spent 28 years involved with the ITC winning owners room, a legend of the club and also former jockey Cliff Clare. So, yeah, a great initiative from the club and great recognition for some great servants of the industry. Yeah, that's right, and and we're quite lucky today. We'll have representatives from from all four groups and uh, for all four people, and and they'll be able to uh, enjoy a good day, and I guess reminisce on on the good times that they had here at the club, and and I guess also look back proudly that you know uh, the the Temple Grange Racecourse is in a in a really good position at the moment, and you know they played a major part in um, building the profile of the club, so they get, they could all be proud of. Uh, the input these people have had. And on top of that, there's always something special about the big race days. Obviously, the crowds come out for Melbourne Cup, but Caulfield Cup being one of the big race days the big of the year. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a special race day. I'll tell you what, I've found it really hard to find a, a winner amongst them, lads. <laughs> you you <laughs> rang me the, during the week complaining about how tough it was. If you could, yeah. if you have a fill-up at Randwick today, you're <laughs> either a genius or a fool. I've got to say, could, we're talking about Well Insight. One of the great days I've had at the racetrack was at Kembla Grange, Well Insight running, I believe it was in Wagga that day, Baz, and... Uh, Rock time. I never, I've never seen a happier Tim Barra. Mind you, I tell you what, there were some nerves going on, pacing back and forth. Oh, it, we got there in the end. Got there in the end. What did we celebrate with Baz? Was it a nice rosé? I think we went in and uh, and put away there in the members bar. Well, well, Steve Keane's on the phone. He's a long time associate of yours, right back to when you were cricket teammates together. Steve, I'll tell you, during the week, Tim Barrow called me and said, "Oh, mate, I've been doing the form at Randwick. My head's about to explode." He said, uh, "What about what about the day though at Kembler in terms of?" Uh, picking a winner, the size of the fields. What's your reaction to the race day today in terms of the racing there at Kembla? Yeah, look, we're, we've got really strong fields throughout the day. Um, in, in the way of getting a winner, oh, I actually think there's an easy play in uh, rolling race one and race three together. Get the two favourites, um, put them together. You'll get around three to one um, and just have a crack at that. Then you'll be playing with their money from there on in. So... So make a call um, yeah, and influential, Steve. Make a call and influential. Yep. I, I think they'll be very hard to beat. So, um, yeah, and, and then you can um, have a bit of a play around with their money after that. So it's a very competitive race meeting. Um, and, yeah, there's form coming from everywhere, which, which is good. So, it's, um, but yeah, Randwick is a, is a tough, tough task today. So... I'm on, but, um, I'm on that Steve. Yeah, now you've rolled me up, so I'll be up in your I'll be up in your course fees. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the Caulfield Cup, Steve? I know you're very busy uh, with your own patch there at Kembla, but have you have you had a look? Can you get Gold Trip beat? Yeah, oh, I think it, it it lets down when when there's a bit of give in the track. So you know whether it's going to be too firm today for it, I don't know. Um, it is going very well. But uh, West Wind Blows was a, was a very good trial um, last start. So I think uh, getting out a little bit further in trip will only benefit. And, um, yeah, it's going to be hard to hold out, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. I just I was going through it before. I just think there's a really lot of chances. The sleeper, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep on Solcom coming out of that. Ran third, but kind of just lost the tempo off the turn when it was stuck back in the inside uh, as Gold Trip and West Wind blows. Um, charge to the line, so I wouldn't sleep on that. Montefilia, the former Winuna owned horse, uh, it comes out of the hill stakes and a, a really good chance. Um, who your male meets are better in the weights, but, you know, it'll be coming late, and then the internationals there will uh, break up coming from Japan. It won't mind the firm track. Akita Salshi and Valiant King, the Irish horses, will wait and see what they've got. Um, the Waller Camp were very bullish about Francesco Gardi as well, so there's plenty of chances in the race there today. In terms of Illawarra types up at Royal Randwick, we've got uh, the Robert and Luke Price uh, horse Satness in in uh, the Midway race three today, number 15. It's a really good chance. And I think that, um, uh, where are we? Uh, Cuban Royale, good each way odds around the $18 mark. Uh, Unspoken is a hot pot in that race. Potentially a question mark on what it's actually beaten yet, but uh, deserves to be a favourite. But I think Cuban Royale, with the right kind of run, can be a really good chance. But, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have a huge day. But as I said, I'll tell you what, if you can find a winner at Randwick today, you've done well. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll go back to Steve. And Steve, as people look at these big races and think, oh, I might get out to Kemba in, in, in coming weeks, what race dates do you have looming? Here's your chance to deliver the sale pitch. When should we come to Kemba over the next few weeks? Yeah, look, besides today, uh, and on all of the major days, we'll have all the major racing from Sydney, Melbourne, and that will all be on the big screen, um, all through the screens throughout, and uh, we'll even get the DJ just to dial it down a little bit for those major races. So, but, yeah, we're back at it again next week for Cox Plate Day or Cox Plate Weekend. So, And then um, that just rolls us into one of our biggest days of the year in uh, the Big Dance slash Melbourne Cup. Uh, meeting on the on the first Tuesday in November, and then all eyes then go um, forward to the Gong. So we're planning feverishly for that. Um, we're going to get a big crowd. Nearly all of our hospitality sold out already on on both uh, Big Dance Cup Day and um, also on the Gong. So it's going to be a huge crowd. We just need some good weather, and um, yeah, it, it, we're we're having a good time out here at the moment, and. Um, We've got a lot of happy faces leaving, so we're, we're looking to continue that. I'll tell you what, the gong. If you haven't been to the gong, it is one of the best days of the year. I absolutely... Uh, do, do we know who's banging the gong this year? Is that a, a oh, well-kept it's, it's secret? very tightly under wraps. Oh, do you want to break any news, yeah, Steve? We, it's... we'll hopefully have an announcement on that in the next seven days. Okay. The plans are in place. We just, we just need to get a few ticks. Taylor Swift's a bit busy at the moment watching NFL, but I imagine it's someone of similar ilk, of similar global fame as Taylor Swift. Of similar <laughs> global fame, yes. Yeah. But watch this fame. <laughs> <laughs> I love well, committing to that. Well handled. well handled. Well handled. Very good, mate. Enjoy the day out there today. Kemble Grange, the first jumps at 1.30. Get out there and enjoy some racing. Appreciate your st- time, Steve. We'll head to the news. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track.
the Socceroos had a pretty impressive win midweek against New Zealand after a really good performance in defeat against uh, England uh, the days previous. The A-League kicks off this weekend. Adelaide United got the ball rolling with a 3-0 win over Central Coast Mariners. To talk about it all is the Illawarra Mercury's football writer Jordan Warren joining us on the line. Good morning, mate. Yeah, morning, boys. How are you going? Very good. Very, very good, mate. It's uh, exciting to get the A-League up and running. Of course, Sydney FC have already claimed the uh, the Australia Cup, but uh, some big games, including Sydney FC, kicking off tonight in the Big Blue against Melbourne Victory. Yeah, yeah. It's my favourite week of the of the year, Baz, the A-League season kicking off again. Um, saw the game last night. The defending champions, the Mariners, had a bit of a tough start against Adelaide, but there was a, a bit of scepticism a, a few days ago, sort of heading into the season. Obviously, people, football fans alike, were extremely excited about the season starting, but obviously uh, a bit sceptical considering that the uh, grand final decision last year, which uh, saw uh, an agreement between the league and Destination New South Wales to have the, the grand final held in Sydney uh, for the next three years, irrespective of, of who makes the the uh, decider or who comes first past the post. But uh, that decision, we saw that get scrapped a couple of days ago, which, of course, was, was massive news. So I think that that might have even made the, made the hype around the league a little bit more exciting, dare I say. Um, obviously, it's, it's definitely restored a lot of faith um, from fans. You can definitely see from the majority of fans that, uh, that it's back to the old format that we've seen, not just in the A-League, but, but in the old NSL days as well. So I think that that's added a lot of hype to the league. But, yeah, you're exactly right. Baz, in terms of the actual football, there's a, there's a few games today, actually. You've got MacArthur against Brisbane. Uh, last year's Premiers, of course, the, the dominant Melbourne City over the last few years against Western United. And then the big blue tonight, Sydney FC against Melbourne Victory before we round it out tomorrow with, with the Wanderers up against Wellington and Perth against Newcastle. Rabs, it's good. And I've got a question for you, but I want to say from the very, very top, I think looking to the sky to save me was a very apt description of how me and Rabs were both going at Everest Day last week. Good thing to think about it romped home for us. But uh, Rabs, I, I haven't seen great you since, plan. Rabs. How are you, how are you travelling, mate? Yeah, no, no, it was good. It's, uh, I had a few dodgy tips at the Everest definitely last week, Geno, but uh, no, I was pretty happy with the, uh, with the main race, that's for sure. <laughs> it was funny. Just a little background story. He's going to come along with me for the ride. We had the bus company. They ring my brother-in-law, the best man, the day before and said, we've upgraded you to the limousine bus. We thought, how good's that? Next thing you know, we're like sardines packed into a can. We're going all the way from Wollongong up down Oosley sideways like this. We couldn't even see the road before us. I don't think I've ever been... I've ever been crooked. It was, oh, jeez, that was that was the thing. We got there and we, we salvaged the day, but I tell you what, never... If you ever... Out, listeners out there, if you ever get offered an upgrade from a bus to a limousine bus... Do not uh. take it. But Rabs, I will get back to my question. <laughs> forgive my forgive my naivety or my ignorance on this, Rabs, but I've seen this viewer around the grand final and having it in Sydney and then go and the, the uproar around that. It was something for me that was difficult to fathom. I'd like to get your thoughts on it because I mean, if you look at the approach of of the AFL, it's always in Melbourne. We have a Brisbane Sydney grand final. It's going to be in Melbourne. We saw a couple of years back there was a Cowboys Broncos grand final, uh, and it was in Sydney. It's only been to Queensland once because of of COVID. It has the home of the grand final because I mean it's your marquee event as a competition, and surely you want to be moving around and selling it for the best if you can get long-term cash and a long-term deal to me uh, i'm not quite across all of it but to me it didn't seem awful business trying to to sell your marquee event 
uh, and giving it a permanent home to make an event of it. But obviously, I'm at odds with the vast majority of, of A-League fan. Rabs, can you give me an insight into, obviously with that situation having been reversed this week, what went into that and what your thoughts are on, on that whole saga? Yeah, it, it's not naivety, to be honest, Jeno. Like, it, it's, a, it's a fair point. And to be honest, from the other side of it, if you look at the other side from the side that you're talking about, yes, you've got the NRL that's hosted in Sydney and the AFL that's hosted in Melbourne. And then considering that football's always... I've, I haven't been around too long, but before my time and, and even to this day, football's always up against it in the sense that uh, politicians alike are always uh, sort of pro-rugby league, pro Aussie rules, not so much football in a, in a rare sense. So to be able to secure a, a three-year deal in the million dollar in the in the seven figures uh, was sensational. But I think that the the, the way it went wrong for for the A League for the APL is, is the fact that it's been a long-standing history in football in this country. Like I said earlier, back in the National Soccer League and in the A League, it, it's been the team that qualifies higher that, that that gets the right to host that grand final. And I and I. When the decision was made, I'll be honest, I thought that there was positives out of it. I thought that it could have worked, but then straight away I kind of had a bit more of a think about it and thought, yeah, you know what, it really doesn't suit our game, considering that, that football is, is always going to be up against rugby league. It's always going to be up against Aussie rules in this country. And people like me, massive football fans, you know, would, would love to see a day when 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 football is, is just as good, or if not better in terms of revenue, in terms of people... You know, bums on seats, people in the stands, stuff like that. But we're just not at that point yet, and we probably won't be in that point for some for a long time, for quite some time, considering the history of the two other games, the rugby league and, and Aussie rules in, in Australia. But I think that it could it could have worked. But I think that the fact that when it went, where it went wrong is it went against the long-standing tradition of football and uh, football fans in this country being able to to, to their team winning the the league or, or whatever, qualifying in the highest position, and then hosting a grand final, and then. Even the team that comes along, um, the second that makes the grand final, having an, an away day. And, you know, I've been to grand finals when I, I watched... My, I'm, I'm a Sydney FC fan. I, I went and watched uh, them beat Perth Glory over in WA in 2019. And it was honestly one of the, the, the most special days of me watching football in my life, considering that we went over to Perth. We went off the stadium. You know, I can't remember how many exactly, but probably only 2,000 of us. And we went and got the win. And then we had a massive night in, in Perth afterwards. It was just a really special... Uh, day and a really special weekend so I think it, it definitely could have worked um, and, I, and I definitely see the point from the sense that uh, you know the other games in this country you have the, the long the, the day of the year that you know where it is you know where the venue is but I think in terms of football it's a little bit more uh, you know the game's a little bit more um, I guess it's a bit special a bit a bit niche in that in that sense. And Jordan, the trade-off for New South Wales is this Unite round. So the equivalent of Rugby League's Magic round and AFL's what's theirs come together round down there in Adelaide or wherever it was. Uh, how's that going to work? Is every game going to be played at the same venue or will Sydney share the round at Combank Stadium, Allianz Stadium, etc., etc.? Yeah, it, it should be across both Parramatta Stadium and Allianz in Sydney and it's, and it's the men's and the women's. So that, could be, that will be quite special as well. Um, especially off the back of the Matildas with their really successful World Cup campaign. And then, yeah, obviously um, that is uh, is something that, yeah, is very similar in the Rugby League, seeing the Magic Round and, and in the AFL as well. You just see how well uh, those events work. So hopefully, yeah, it, uh, it transitions and, and works in football as well. I'll tell you what, Jordan, you've got to, I know you, you've got to keep your fans happy. That's the, the one big thing for any competition. And the second thing is there, if you're going to do a backflip, back you've got to stick the landing. And I think the A-League have actually done that because 
They knew the fans weren't happy about the Sydney arrangement, but they've also managed to keep the authorities happy by creating this Unite round, and I think they've done it uh, pretty well as an end result. And I think the A-League this year has been really well marketed around just the general fact that the A-League is a development league. You know, and that there are players coming out of this competition. We don't need all the big marquees every year, so I think they've done that well. Yeah, I completely agree, Baz. And I think, yeah, when the A-League started, the the original, um, you know, marketing plan was to get those big-name marquees. Obviously, back in the early days, we saw Dwight York, um, Alessandro Del Piero, and even more recently, Daniel Sturridge. But I think that what worked out recently, uh, what the A-League's worked out recently is the fact that being a developmental league is not necessarily a bad thing, and we've seen that in both the Socceroos at the Qatar World Cup uh, last year and also in, in the Matildas as well. Um, with their World Cup, a number of, of uh, young A-League women's products coming through the ranks into the national team there. And I think that there's a lot of sensational talent, even last night, despite the fact we got sent off for the Mariners. David Farrell, young back, has been doing great stuff. Nesteray, Iren Kunda for Adelaide. You know, he's on on, uh, on the market at Bayern Munich. He, he's, he was hot property for the top European clubs around the world all last year and still is. So just so, and that's just a couple of young players that just to name a couple, but there's definitely a lot more in the league that are, that are you know, preparing to go gangbusters this season. Well, Sydney FC kick off against Melbourne victory tonight at Allianz Stadium and the Western Sydney Wanderers against Wellington Phoenix tomorrow, three o'clock at Combank. Thanks for your time, Jordan, mate. We'll head to a break. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Plenty more NBL action coming up this weekend, lads, after the Hawks 91 went down to Melbourne United 101. A big start to the season for Melbourne United. They're the pace setters, but the arch rivals up the road from here. Sydney Kings aren't far behind. They play the Jack Jumpers tomorrow. No, Sydney Kings starting really well, like Melbourne have. 101 91 winners last night. I've mentioned Ariel Huckporty, Joe Luala Chul, uh, some uh, big men delivering for Dean Vickerman, but. Yeah, the Sydney Kings, I've started their hunt for a three-peat like the Panthers really well. Uh, back to the Illawarra Hawks, I, they've got to improve defensively. I'd like to see a bit better body language in a few of the timeouts. Uh, they looked beaten at stages in that second half before they actually were. So there's, there's a couple of areas, obviously, that they're well aware of as well. A positive again, Gary Clark, the American, slow to start and had some people asking questions, but delivered again last night. And I had a chat to him before the game. Actually, fantastic fella. He's he a is, bloke who's played he's a, terrific guy. Know, a, yep. a lot of NBA. He, he's a superstar. He could be a little bit... Uh, he probably could be a little bit arrogant or dismissive. So grounded. Spent a lot of time with young people uh, at, at the game. I think he, he looks better and better. And I spoke to him before the game alongside... You know, the first month, what have you, what have you, your first pro contract outside the G League or the NBA? How are you finding Australia? He said, I love the beaches and the coffee is the best I've ever had. I, I love that element of the gong. 
He said, but the flies. <laughs> How long do the oh, flies hang around for? everywhere, He said, they? I'm playing golf and I'm just halfway through my swing and a fly goes into my eyes. I said, mate, welcome to Australia. Oh. I said, you'll, you'll put up with that all summer. And I said, we're not even going yet. Oh. Uh, so the flies are giving oh, Gary Clark a bit of grief. Oh, we had a, we had, last night we had a Gary Clark and an Ian Clark. I oh, know. Both. And we're talking about supreme athletes. You hear those names, you expect them to look like the proclaimers. <laughs> yeah. But they've come out and, oh, too, outstanding, too outstanding imports to have in this league. Yeah. I think Gary was great. I, I always thought he'd come good for... The, the fact was when he was having those teething issues, I suppose you would have, still finding ways to contribute. When he wasn't scoring, mm. he was rebounding, he was getting assists, he was getting steals, and you could just see he was going, okay, I'm, I'm just that professionalism. He's, had, he's been around different NBA franchises. You, you've got to find ways in that environment when you're on that fringe to be a contributor across the board. You're not probably not going to be a scorer in, in those teams that have elite scorers. So I thought the way he's come along, I think absolute, absolute shining light. I think they're not even, without Gary Clark, this, this stretch of three losses, the Hawks aren't even in it. They're okay, close. let's go further. AJ Johnson, the next star. Now, we know the next stars in the league are really delivering. Six minutes last night, didn't miss a shot. I thought he provided energy, impact, momentum off the bench. He is very young, very raw, very green. But do his six minutes last night demand more time going forward? Yeah, it was, I think, I don't, I don't think he can start piling on the minutes because I think we start, if it's a bit longer, you, you struggle. He can be, obviously, with size, very undersized, very skinny. I think he can be really... If he's there for long stretches, he becomes a real spot player. They try to create mismatches yep. on him, and he, that's where he'd get exposed. I think with the ball in hand, absolutely. And what about that dime for Gary Clark? Yeah, yeah. was that? He get the step back three, and that no-looker back the other way. That was class. You can see why people have him so high up in the mock drafts. But I think that'd be the reason. If it was purely... If you could have a whole game played in transition and running up and down and everything else, I think you'd be fantastic. But if you leave him out there for long stretches and long minutes, I think you can really start to get honed in on by opposition offence and, and you're suddenly yeah. getting mismatches and you're getting... I think that's why they'd be being a little bit cautious but with him. Rotations are obviously a problem for Jacob Jacobus at the moment. He's getting criticised no matter what he does, but there was a couple of times in the second half last night where I thought got back to around that 10-12 margin. Here's a two-minute burst from AJ Johnson. Let's put him out there and see if we can peel off six, eight quick points. Didn't happen, but, but there are much greater minds than mine involved with the Hawkeyes, Tim. Yeah, long way to go. They're one and four, but they're not uh, gone just yet. We've got one more break in us on Saturdays in the gong, and then we'll sprint to the finish. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Big couple of games coming up at the Cricket World Cup, England and South Africa tonight. And then the top two unbeaten teams tomorrow night, India against New Zealand. That'll be an absolute blockbuster. The real blockbuster, though, is this afternoon, the Netherlands up against Sri Lanka. Can the Netherlands get a second win in this tournament after beating South Africa during the week? There have been some good upsets. Netherlands, Afghanistan, good. It's, it's good to see. It's good to know that these minnows supposedly aren't, aren't without some hope. Well, at least, I think... That's the, the appeal, as much as you're in the mix of it, the 50-over cricket. It can kind of... It's, it's different, isn't it? Mm. So mm. you can, they can turn up. That's why I don't think it was... 
I was never. What were you guys thinking about Australia and everything else? I never thought it was all that dark. Turn turnarounds happen like that, right? In World Cups. Well, particularly it, in the format it is now, it, yes. you have got time to recover. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. So I think it's what makes it interesting because you know there's no. It's not quite like when you watch the Rugby World Cup where you think we're going to see a pretty anticipated final. We still may see that here, but yeah, it's um it's an interesting interesting watch. Adam Zampa doing well. If Australia is to go on and win the World Cup, you'd imagine he's going to have a very prominent role and, and he's and he's warming up nicely. Well, and Australia have New Zealand and England to come and you would think they'd have to win at least one of them to secure because mm. they've got the Netherlands and Afghanistan on the way in as well. So you'd think they'd have to win at least one of England or New Zealand to stake their claim for the top four. Let's roll back to the start of the show. We talked about Alex Volkanovsky in his title fight, 11 days notice. Mitch Jennings, you're our combat sports expert does he get it done and why should he get it done absolutely not like we said 11 days notice off to Abu Dhabi time zone difference everything else will he get it done yes he will and if he he does what what, what does that do to his legacy as an Australian sportsman not just combat he might just be banging down that door we still got a Lord Mayor that thinks he's not worthy of the keys to the city of Wollongong he'll have the bloody we'll need a third hour of the show for that to go back back on that again go back to that but I think this goes into absolute Mount Rushmore type stuff I know it's still a niche sport in the eyes of some but it's not you know Volcon on Instagram has more followers than just about any athlete other than Nick Kyrgios in Australia so it's a big thing but if you want some value I think Volk will get it done by stoppage I think it'll be a ground and pound stoppage I think he'll overwhelm him with strikes uh, he probably rounds three or four. And if you want to get some value on the tip, the other fight, uh, Kamaru Usman doing a bit of a Volk, taking it on uh, late notice to take on uh, Hazmat Shamayev. I always try to get that right. <laughs> so if you roll those two up into each other, if you go uh, upset into upset, you're getting some decent value. I love a ground and pound stoppage, Baz. That's the way I want to wrap up the show. Saturday's in the gong for another week, 8 to 10, 15.75 AM, the app or the website. Join us again next week.